Hello and welcome to the Chris Ham Podcast. Episode number 27. We're going to have a shorter one than usual this week. Uh, this is the way life breaks sometimes, which I will get into in a minute. But um, coming up on the podcast is we are just about three and a half weeks away from the new decade, the 2020s. But the uh, NFL season just has four weeks left. And right as the season is concluding, and we're looking ahead to the 2019-2020 playoffs, my friend and family member, Chris B., who joined us a few weeks ago, is going to be joining us again. Now, we had him on in early November. He's the Eagles traveling vagabond, if you will. And he's, he's a little more beat up these days after a pretty brutal Eagles stretch. And uh, this proverbial game of NFC East hot potato that seems to be going on with the Cowboys and Eagles, which somehow isn't even hasn't even excluded the Washington Redskins yet. That's something else. I mean, what is this division winner going to finish when the season is over in a few weeks? So he's going to come on. We're going to recap the 2019 season and look ahead to the to the uh, playoffs. By the way, why do we call the playoffs that are going to happen in January? And f- so the playoffs that are going to happen in January 2020 and February 2020. Why do we call them? Why don't we call them the 2020 playoffs? Or why can't we just call the, this the 2019-2020 season like the NBA does? Now, I, I think the way that if, if you look at the way that the playoffs are referred to historically, these would be the 2019 playoffs. Yet, they're happening entirely in a different year than what is stated. You know, I get the whole regular season or nearly 95% generally is the non-playoff calendar year, but it's confusing as hell. You know, like, take take my pathetic New York Jets, for example. The New York Jets last won the Super Bowl in 1969, but it was actually the 1968-69 season. So while you might hear people throwing out that it was 50 years ago, it was actually 51 years ago, which is even more sad. You know, I get the season used to be shorter, and that the NFL thought they were solving this the confusing um, situation here that I'm describing with the Roman numeral Super Bowl shit, but... We have to evolve, especially as there is talk to add more games. I mean, before you know it, the NFL season is going to extend into, you know, extend past President's Day weekend, which, which would that even be so bad? I mean, one thing you have to really worry about there is not putting any sort of major game on Valentine's Day. And for me personally, my wife and I met on February 17th back in 2007, and we got our vows renewed at, a, at our church uh, almost two years ago. So if the Super Bowl were played around then, it would be problematic for my own personal life. But I think, obviously, more football is better for everybody. I digress. So we have a great show coming up. I'm going um, to shop around some major topics, not centered around sports in the NFL, as I tease coming up over the next few weeks, next few months. But um, another friend, Jeremy, will go on. Uh, he'll be a guest to go through storylines one of these next two or three weeks before the season ends as well. So we have Chris B. We have my friend Jeremy coming on to discuss NFL later on this month. But on today's show, we are going to take a slightly different approach with storylines and rather go bottom up from the games. We're going to go top down and sort of look at the NFL landscape and playoff picture with just under a month to go in the season. I will highlight a few headlines in the process there. Then we will jump to hot, sharp, butter knife picks against the spread. Now, I continue to ride high after that slow start with a two out of three weekend again last weekend. 
And then, of course, I'm going to end with my hot takes and rants. On this episode, though, I want to start with this. The reason why this episode is a little bit shorter than usual and being released a little later than usual is because of something in life that we all have to deal with in some capacity, and it's illness. Now, in life, I've been very fortunate so far at 38 to not have to navigate a major illness among myself or closest of kin, my wife, my children, my parents, or a sibling. And I also haven't lost any close friends yet. Yet, you know, of course I've lost um, uncles and aunts, great aunts, great uncles, grandparents, acquaintances, and a few of those cases tragically. But I've been very fortunate in my life with, with illness. But this week, on a very minor note, I had a stomach bug. And I passed it along to Eloise. And somehow, Jen has so far dodged the bullet of getting this. Now, rather than me bitch about how inconvenient it was for me or heartbreaking it was to see my three-year-old daughter in pain as we both battled uh, a stomach bug this week, um, I actually was able to frame this, no bullshit, get some perspective on it, and come from a position of gratitude. All right? Now, before anybody rolls their eyes at me, let me explain. All right? A stomach flu or any flu more than a cold really knocks you on your ass. You know, I am only partially bragging saying this, but I haven't had a stomach flu in 11 years, 11 and a half years, all right? I can count on my hands the amount of times I've thrown up in the last decade, two to three times because I was a jackass with drinking, but, but only one stomach flu in the past 11 years. But I think the amount of, of suffering and sustained suffering that goes on with a terminal disease over the course of several months or years. I mean, that's something that, that I think about just being knocked on my ass with a stomach flu just for you know, not even like 15 hours where it was really bad, all right? When I felt the symptoms lessening, I went into gratitude. And for me, this is how the virus took shape. Let me explain to you, all right? So I had on Tuesday night, a very healthy salmon dinner with spinach, roasted sweet potatoes, um, and you know, my, and I had a glass of water with that. I mean, it really just healthy. And you, and you guys know how I feel about drinking water with uh, with meals. It, it wasn't because I was trying to be, you know, how I'm walking back my stance on, on water. We didn't have any coconut water, didn't have any sparkling water, which is something that I would have normally had with a meal like that. But that was my meal. And then my biggest weakness, which I don't think I've shared yet on this pod, but anybody who knows me well knows that. My biggest weakness when it comes to food is homemade chocolate chip cookies. Now, I have perfected multiple recipes, but I ain't even above just buying Pillsbury dough sometimes from the grocery store. Now, what I do usually um, only maybe once during the the week and then a couple times on the weekend is I'm going to throw a couple cookies from the batter and um, into the oven because I like to have them fresh. I don't like making a whole batch, letting them sit out and harden. You know, I, I like having them hot and fresh. So I threw a couple cookies from the batter that I made days prior to Tuesday into the oven. And then um, you know, I, I ate them after, shortly after the dinner, and immediately something didn't feel right. Do you know that feeling you get right after you eat a massive meal, like a steak dinner or, just a, or Thanksgiving type of meal, just maybe for about three to five minutes signaling to stop fucking eating? Well, with the stomach virus, I feel like you feel that for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, two hours until you first vomit. 
And for me, it happened after I went to sleep at 1 a.m. is when the vomiting started. And it was brutal. I mean, throwing up is so gross. I mean, the smell, the texture, the internal like like body movements and like your esophagus and your stomach. It's, it's as shitty as advertised while, while you're in it. And as an adult, you are able to keep in perspective and know that the virus is finite. The worst vomit is the first vomit is typically the worst vomit, and um, you know I even prefer um, the water vomit or the dry heaving that you get kind of like a few vomits in because at least nothing nasty is coming out. So for me that night, there were three trips to the bathroom between one a.m. and five a.m. Then at about three quarters of the day on the couch uh, the, uh, on Wednesday, and and this thing was on its way out, and I had a lot of gratitude for just kind of feeling my body fight through it. And um, Jen, my wife, was absolutely terrific. And the toughest thing when you're a parent and you get sick like this, and I share this on social media. I got some shit from some close friends about sharing it on social media, like I was bragging or something like that. But the, the toughest thing is you, you get sick. You're, 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 you're not able to hug your kids. You're not able to help your wife with your kids or your kid or however many, whatever your, your, your parent, parental situation is. And when I was laying around with, 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 um, without much of an appetite, the biggest thing I craved is, um, was drinks and liquids. I mean, it, it is the feeling that surpasses even the worst hangover liquid craving, or the, 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 I should say the most extreme hangover liquid craving. But you know, the, the, the biggest challenge for me, as I said, was just not being able to um, hug your, your kid who doesn't really fully understand, especially you know, Eloise is three, not even three and a half yet, that that uh, I can't hug her because I'm going to get her sick. Now she didn't. Really, now she probably could probably. She's so uh, such a smart girl that I think she's going to go back the next time that I'm sick, and she's going to stay the hell away from me because she remembers how miserable her stomach virus was, which I'll get to. All right. So, in talking about the liquids and the things that I was craving, I mean that brought me back to childhood when I remember how vividly and um, my mom and grandma helped me when I had a stomach flu. It happens a lot when you're a kid. Your immune system's working out some shit. Now, I want to take a moment specifically to note about my grandma. This is my maternal grandma. You know, I got emotional thinking about her, who has been dead now for almost 20 years. But she had such a knack for things um, when it came to, like, battling an illness or, or, um, or just, just, just these home remedies. And, and I, she passed a lot of that stuff down to my mom as well. But I remember she would she would ha- she would uh, take take two glasses and, and rotate um, soda between the two glasses. It was ginger ale, it was cola, because that helps set- settle the stomach. She'd make Jello from scratch, you know, none, none of this like like uh, prepackaged Jello that, that typically we eat now, but just Jello from scratch and like where you actually like boil water and have to let it sit in the refrigerator. Um, but so that was kind of a staple of being sick, sick with a stomach virus and, um, you know, a nice glass of water with a straw. Um, no pun intended. I love lemon and water. So I put some lemon in the water when I was sick this time around. And, uh, at least like, like kind of my tween years and on, I remember having Gatorade. Um, I don't remember drinking it until I was like 11 or 12. I, I, I don't think it was as mainstream until like probably like the, the mid nineties. Um, but that, that's what I remember when I was reflecting about being, being, uh, sick with a stomach virus. I got some nostalgia thinking about my grandma. Now, getting back to this virus, I mean, 24 hours after the cookie batter, which seemed to be the catalyst to my virus, even though I'm sure I picked it up on some, some, uh, some door handle, um, or some other kind of, 
uh, place and because it's very common this time of the year. But because the cookie batter was was uh, was was what I most recently ate, I couldn't even think about that batter for a while. Um, I still can't think about it right now, days later. Um, you know, it's one of those things when you get a stomach virus, like whatever food you most recently had or you um, you can you felt the most coming up. It takes a while to go back to that food. And that doesn't happen with drinking. I mean, the times that I've been a jackass of drinking too much and I threw up, I can't even remember the food that I ate before. I probably could go eat that the next day. But with the stomach virus, it's just like nature's way of of, uh, of getting you away from like a food or something. Uh, who knows? But I, I love cookies too much to let them go entirely. But my own batter, I can't think about it for a while. But um, you know what I did? Uh, you know, I, I was able to bounce back pretty quickly. I wanted pizza. The the next night, you know, less than 24 hours after the virus, instead I opted for a bison burger, which is meat that's easily able to, they're easily able to digest, some roasted sweet potatoes, um, a flat iced fountain Sprite, which I converted to a Shirley Temple, which I'll get to later. Absolutely delicious. And, um, you know, fast forward to yesterday or to a couple of days ago in the afternoon at three o'clock Friday. And, um, you know, I'm working from home and navigating a busy afternoon with um with work as Jen is putting Eloise down and I hear crying coming from Eloise's room which was uncommon since she was a baby now unless she just injured herself from trying to like climb up something or who knows but sure enough she had thrown up chunks all over her bed in her hair and the thing she said when we rushed into the room mama daddy I don't like it I need a bath just so classic of her to do that because uh, she just loves order, but um, that's the kind of that's the kind of toddler she is. But Jen and I sprung into action. We had to cancel my work, cancel going to my work holiday party um, in the city, and spend the whole night making sure she was okay. And, and and not going to the holiday party was a bummer, but but it wasn't even a question for us um, at that point. So seven throw ups, more than eight more over the next eight hours for Eloise. Three baths, two sheet changes, and she is she was in full on virus mode. You know, the first time getting it in. Uh, in, in almost three and a half years old. And she was an absolute trooper, but it was so painful watching her stem around our floor and throw up and not know what the hell was going on. She's completely better now. She was kind of on the mend uh, yesterday as I record this at the, uh, during the wee hours of Sunday morning. Um, but getting sick for me at 38, going back to it again, in recovery, connected to a higher being, gave me a tremendous amount of gratitude for my family's health, my family's immune system, my own health, my own immune system. Now I'm crossing my fingers that Jen at six plus months pregnant can dodge this, but if she doesn't in the next few days, I'm confident we're gonna weather the storm as a family. So that was my week, and that is why the only segment I have for you outside of NFL football is that. It actually ended up being a decent one, hopefully. So NFL week 13 to 14 bridge next. Okay, so rather than go bottom up with storylines, um, this week we're going to do something a little bit different. All right, we are going to go top down when it comes to storylines, and what we're going to do is we're going to look at the landscape, um, and we're going to start with the current playoff picture and the seeds, and we're just going to talk through it. And if anybody really wants to dive in. Go and play with the ESPN playoff machine. You know, it's something I think that was available weeks ago, but if you start doing it now, kind of week 14 or so in December, week 15, it's an awesome tool because it's really hard to get into some of the crazy tie-breaking scenarios such as common opponent, 
conference record, strength of schedule, all that shit. Um, even now, I think it's a little too early to do. But if you haven't checked it out yet, definitely check it out. Um, this is not even a plug at all, you know, for, for ESPN. I mean, I, I, I'm very lukewarm on ESPN in general. But as far as the playoff machine, I think it's awesome. But let's take a look at the uh, the conferences, right? We're, I'm going to start with the NFC. So right now, I'm just going to list out what the seeds are. Um, New Orleans Saints already clinched a division because of uh, really the shittiness or the mediocrity, I should say, that is the NFC South. I mean, none of those teams are actually awful outside of the Falcons. Um, but they're 10-2. and two. Uh, They've clinched the division, so they're automatically in the playoffs. They, they, they would be the number one seed over the Seattle Seahawks, who are also 10-2, and two because they won head-to-head earlier this season with Teddy Bridgewater, if you remember. Right, so those would be the two buys right now in the NFC. The Green Bay Packers are one game back of both at nine and three. Um, the Dallas Cowboys with their with their with, with Jason Garrett on the hot seat, and, and I mean it's gonna be really interesting to see if he's gonna get fired. Um, I, you know he's gonna get fired at the end of the season, but if he's gonna get fired, if they have another bad loss or two, in spite of the fact that they're still in the NFC division race, they can still finish nine and seven, eight and eight, make the playoffs. But the the uh, the, the, the bloom is off the rose even for Jerry Jones, who's been probably held on to the guy four or five years longer than he should have. I mean, there's some damning stats out there on Jason Garrett. I don't know, like Warren Sharp, who was a great follow on Twitter, tweeted the fact that um, since Garrett's taken over as head coach in 2010, which at this point is a pretty long tenure, uh, they have only come back and won five games while trailing at halftime. Five in that time span. That's pathetic. That just shows you a lack of adjustments. A lot lack of adjustments, lack of detail orientation, um, and you know the thing. I think he's like the, the tipping point. I think for Garrett, he's not clapping anymore. You, you, you know, you, like years ago, people used to make fun of him on the sidelines. Like, what does he do? He just sits around, and he claps and smiles. He looks like a casino host. Uh, <laughs> that stuff is hilarious, and there might be some merit to the fact that what substances he actually have as a head coach. But he's not clapping this year, and they've taken this this this. The step back even from, from 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 Garrett's standards as far as just bad losses, blowouts, not being good teams. So maybe he should go back to trying to clap if he wants to try to save the the, the his career that's already hanging on by a thread as Dallas Cowboys head coach. So anyway, so the Cowboys, so those are the four division winners. The wild card teams, the the San Francisco 49ers at ten and two, um, and this and the Minnesota Vikings at eight and four. And by the way, the San Francisco 49ers or Seahawks, one of those teams is likely to win at least twelve games. They're both likely to win twelve games. One of them is going to win be twelve and four and be going to a uh, nine and seven, eight and eight, maybe even a seven and nine NFC East division winner in the Cowboys or the Eagles. But, I mean, I don't know how the NFL hasn't gotten their shit together and reseed and not reseeded. But if you if there's that much of a disparity in games in a playoff um, in a playoff matchup, you have to let the wild card team host. It's just not fair. I mean, I know division. You know, there's a lot of incentive for winning the division, but when it's a shitty division like that, I, I just think it's not fair. So anyway, so the way it looks now, I mean, who knows what's going to happen with San Francisco and Seattle. San Francisco has a very tough game on the road in New Orleans. Seattle has a very tough game on the road in division against the Rams. Now, I think San Francisco is going to go into New Orleans and win. I don't know how I feel about Seattle on, um, on Sunday Night Football. I think the game is a complete toss-up. But if Seattle wins and San Francisco loses, that division is, is uh, you know could be even sewn up before these two face off. To end the season, which I think is awesome that they're ending the season together. I love that the NFL. I give the NFL a lot of shit. One thing I think they did a great job with is um, having division rivals play 
um, at the end of the season or just the, the division teams play. It ends up just like even when the NFL in the, in the NFL where there's so much parity, you don't know how teams are going to be year to year. It's just it's just a good formula to have. Um, and the NFL has been doing it now for, I don't know, like five, six, seven years, whatever it's been, uh, maybe even longer. I'm, I'm not really recalling. I remember it being, being at least a factor for that long. So the only teams I think with an outside shot um, uh, at the playoffs, I mean, there's the, there's the Rams at seven and five, the Bears at seven and six. They would need an utter collapse by Minnesota. And, and the Bears do have Minnesota uh, at the end of the year um, to, to really make the, the, to, to make the, the playoffs. Uh, you know, I, I think the Rams have a more inside track. They play one head-to-head against the Bears. The Rams get to 10 wins, um, and somehow the Vikings uh, over their next uh, four games go 2-2. Two and two. They might even be in over the Vikings. But the Bears are going to need a lot more help than that. Now, somehow I think the, um, the Bucks, um are still in the race. Um, you know, I'm looking at, at all the standings right now. I mean, there's just a lot of just ridiculous things. Um, I could be wrong. I think they're not completely eliminated from playoff connection, contention, but they would be, they would need just absolutely crazy things to happen in order to, to get into the playoffs. I think, uh, at nine and seven, they would need like, yeah, I guess, I, I guess if, uh, Minnesota, Chicago and the Rams were eight, and eight or worse, and they finished nine and seven, they would get in. Um, I guess the Eagles and Panthers and, and, um, are still in uh, for, for that reason as well. But um, that's the NFC picture. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. Um, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I think the, the Green Bay Packers are not as good as their, as their record. I can see them actually even losing the division. Um, but, um, yeah, the whole Ron Rivera firing for Carolina was, was I mean, the, the, the time has definitely come for him. But why do they have to do it now? Why not just do it at the end of the season? It just seemed a little bit um, impulsive to me. I, I know it's a new ownership. They want to bring in their own guy. And he, you know, he's won, he won the division three straight years, but he's had a lot of mediocre years alternating with, or, or bad years alternating with good years. Hasn't really had a lot of sustained success. I, I would always put him as a top half coach. Um, but I don't think I'd ever, even though he won coach of the year a couple of times, I'd be hard pressed to put him as a top six or seven coach in this league. So that's the NFC playoff picture. Now let's pop over to the AFC. So the AFC, uh, I think, is a lot more straightforward. Um, I think there's a lot less teams that are actually in contention to get to the Super Bowl. Um, right now, you have the Ravens leading leading the way at ten and two with the tiebreaker over New England head to head. You have um, New England as a two seed at ten to two. Those two teams would be the buys right now. Um, then right behind them, a couple games behind them are both the the Houston Texans and Kansas City Chiefs at eight and four. Uh, Houston is the three seed because they beat Kansas City head to head. The Chiefs are, are the four seed at eight and four. Um, a lot of Vegas experts um, think that they're one of the best teams in the league right now because they have a healthier Mahomes, or a healthy Mahomes, I should say. Their defense is starting to play better. It's going to be interesting to see how, how the year ends up for them. Um, but they're the, those are the, the four division winners. And then you have uh, the Buffalo Bills at nine and three, and the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers at seven and five. Now, Buffalo has an absolutely crucial game this week against the Ravens, which I'll get to in my picks. But Buffalo could still win the division. They could still win the number one overall seed. And people kind of discount them because historically they've been, they've been uh, irrelevant for almost two decades. Um, they've, been, and they've, been, uh, they've had a massive playoff drought up until a few years ago. But McDermott's definitely turned that franchise around. Um, they could have beaten New England. If not for Josh Allen getting injured, uh, getting knocked out of that game, um, I think there was a block punt by New England, which they always seem to do. Um, Buffalo could could be 
imagine if, if those two teams were, were flipped and they were 10 and 2 and New England was 9 and 3. Um, I, they, I, I know they have to go to New England again and play a game, but if they win this week, New England gets tripped up one more time, maybe even this week to Kansas City, who knows what happens? That would be something else that New England doesn't win the division this year. I mean, they, they're, they're, you know, I've, I've said it very much um, over the course of this show. I mean, I, I know the Pats could easily still finish 14 and 2, get to the Super Bowl, win another one with Brady. But Brady's definitely eroding. The defense is great, but the offense, they're, they're, they're very unimpressive offense um, with not a lot of pop. No Gronk, um, not a big major deep threat that is uh, anything to write home about these days. So that's the, those are the, 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 the first six seeds in the, in, the, in the AFC playoff picture. You have the Tennessee Titans who are red hot under Ryan Tannehill, right? Knocking on the door, 7-5 and five also with the Steelers, but the Steelers win the tiebreaker. Uh, they're actually going out to play in Oakland today, who's 6-6. Six and six. Now, if Oakland wins that game, I think it all but buries Tennessee. It's going to be hard for Tennessee, I think, to come back if Oakland were to win this game. And, and uh, this game opened up like close to a pick but now it's, I think, Tennessee minus three, which I understand Tennessee's playing better, Oakland's playing worse, but it's, it's amazing how quickly things could shift to the NFL if, if that does happen. Um, and then you have uh, the Indianapolis Colts at six at six, six and six, who really need this game against the Bucks. They almost need a win out. I can't see a scenario where they're nine and seven, where at least you know either the combination of either Oakland or Tennessee or Pittsburgh um, doesn't win the tiebreaker over them, or is, isn't a game better. Um, but uh, I guess Indianapolis is still in it, and then technically Cleveland at five and seven. Uh, they're in it as well. They're not going to win the division. Like, let's let's be real here. I mean, not not the division. I, I have a hard time thinking they're they're going to make the playoffs. They still have to play Baltimore again. I know the game is at home, but Baltimore lost to them earlier this year. Somehow, they're going to be out for revenge. Um, and then outside of that, it's not worth talking about the teams: the Jaguars, the Broncos, the Chargers, the Jets. Four and eight uh, are all about eliminated from the playoffs. Um, and aren't good enough teams, I think, to have uh, to, to win to win four and have all these crazy things happen above them to get into the playoffs. Um, but this is an exciting time of the year. Uh, that's the AFC playoff picture. Ham, hot, sharp, but a knife picks against the spread coming up. All right, so my picks continue to roll over the last 24 games. It's been now eight weeks. This ain't no fluke, all right? Two months of this, 15-8-1. Um, last week I was two and one against the spread again, which seems to be this pattern, uh, where I've had, uh, been on a roll of two good picks and one shitty pick where I, it doesn't even come close, but for the season now, um, I am 19, 17 and three. Um, we have just a few more weeks left. I'm ending really, really strong, which I'm, I'm really happy about, but, uh, recap last week, I was dead wrong on Oakland at Kansas city, uh, getting 10 and a half points. They got absolutely smoked. Um, I was right on the, in terms of San Francisco and Baltimore being very tight. San Francisco didn't pull out the win, but they were in it the whole time. Lost with a Justin Tucker field goal at the end. And I was right on with Pittsburgh getting points at home against the traveling circus Browns with their fucking coach Freddie Kitchens wearing a uh, Pittsburgh started shirt to the movies. I mean, what a, what, a, what a joke. I mean, the Browns, I mean, once again, if they lose another two games, another losing season – uh, if they lose another game, they're not going to be over 500 with all the hype that I've heard about them. What a what an absolute circus they have going on over there. Um, and listen, I don't love this slate at all this week. I found it hard to pick three games, but you know we got to grind. We got to do our best. Uh, there's other weeks where I feel really good about my picks, and maybe this is the week that I I uh, I go three and zero again. But without further ado, week 14, ham hot, 
sharp butter knife picks against the spread. Here we go. All right, let's start in Buffalo, where the Buffalo Bills are getting six points, hosting the red-hot Baltimore Ravens, who haven't lost since September against the Cleveland Browns. I still like Buffalo getting six points. Let's talk movement. This line opened originally with Buffalo plus seven. It's moved to Buffalo plus six. Let's talk distribution. 79% of tickets, but 71% of money is on Baltimore. So a sharp lean towards Buffalo. Now Buffalo continues to not get respect. But as Bill Parcells says, you are what your record says you are. And the Bills are nine and three with a chance to still win the AFC East and get the number one seed on December 7th, which is remarkable. Josh Allen is playing better football since week seven. He's red hot. 11 touchdowns, one interception, four out of seven games with a QB rating over 100. And if you think QB rating is bullshit, analytics guys also agree if you look at football outsiders. Now, I think Lamar Jackson is revolutionary, but I think the Bills, McDermott, and Leslie Frazier are going to game plan the right way here. They're top three in defense, both in terms of points per game and yards per game. And they're top six as far as analytics go. Now, let's play the mirror game with, this, with respect to this line. So Baltimore is minus six here in Buffalo. You give home three points for home field. If this game were on a neutral field, would Baltimore be minus nine? And would they be minus 12 in Baltimore? Feels a little re- absurd to me when you have a top six, top six, top five defense for the Buffalo Bills. And it's a team in the hunt for the number one seed. That's, their, that's the opponent of the Ravens. And you're, and you're telling me that the Ravens should be getting six points here on the road in, in Orchard Park, which is a very tough place to play. I like Buffalo plus six, and I would not be shocked if they go ahead and halt the freight train that is the Baltimore Ravens and win outright. Next, let's go to Cleveland. And I know, I know, I hate the Browns, all right? And you might think I'm being a bit of a homer justifying the Jets' embarrassing loss to Cincinnati, but I'm not. This isn't about me hating on my coach. There will be a time and a place for that. But Cincinnati is getting seven points on the road in Cleveland. All right? Let's talk movement. I like Cincinnati plus seven here. All right? This line moved from plus ten and a half down to plus seven for Cincinnati. All right? Let's talk distribution. I had to do a double take on this, but 69% of the tickets are on Cleveland, but 62% of the cash is on Cincinnati. Now, Cincinnati is a different team with Andy Dalton at the helm. Um, they just play with a different different energy because they have more confidence. They have a talent. They have a few talented players on the roster. They lost a few tough games. I, you know, I I, I know they're they're one and eleven, but they lost a, t- a few tough games earlier this season. They and, and their talent on their roster speaks volumes on offense. Tyler Eifert, Gio, Gio Bernard, CJ. Ozoma, right? On defense, Carlos Dunlap and Geno Atkins. Since the Baltimore thrashing right after their bye week, something has clicked with the Bengals defensively. They've given up just 13 points a game. And let's not forget the swagging Mayfield last year against Cincinnati, staring at Hugh Jackson over the sidelines, taunting him. Now, since now Hugh Jackson isn't on that staff anymore, but don't think the players forget things like that. A big wise guy concept is also the dream crusher concept. A dream, crush, dream crusher game is a game where that right after the game when your season is essentially over. Now, I know the Browns have a long, have some kind of a long shot at the playoffs, but with seven losses, they're pretty much toast in the AFC with all the tiebreakers. And, you know, so, so given that, you give me Cincinnati plus seven on the road 
in Cleveland, and don't be surprised if they win outright. Finally, let's go to Minnesota, where the Detroit Lions are getting 13. I like Detroit plus 13 here. Let's talk movement. Started with Minnesota minus 14, went down to Minnesota minus 13. Let's talk distribution. 79% of tickets on Minnesota, but 72% of the money. So that means a slight lean towards the Sharps taking, taking uh, the Detroit Lions. Now, I'm not a Matt Patricia fan. I think he's probably going to be done pretty soon. If not this year, next year. I think he was a bad hire. But David Blow had a very good outing at Thanksgiving. He, he definitely showed he belonged to be in the league. Two touchdowns, one interception, almost 300 yards passing, 7.4 yards per attempt. Now, the Lions season is over and has been for, for a few weeks now. They've lost five straight games. But the optics look a lot better with Stafford out for an extended period of time. If somehow they were able to finish the season 7-8-1. So they're, they're, they're super motivated. Minnesota, they're, they're obviously playing for a division. They're playing for the wild card. Nothing materially changes. I mean, it brings some of the, the competition closer as far as the Rams and the, and the Bears if they lose this game. But they still have the division in their hand with, with the game kind of head-to-head against the Packers coming up um, and another few weeks of football. But looking at advanced stats of yards per play, not a massive gap between the Lions and the Vikings. So for that reason, you give me the Lions plus 13, division rival, familiar opponent on the road against the Minnesota Vikings. So those are my, those are my three picks. We have, uh, both, we have uh, the Buffalo Bills plus six hosting the Ravens. We have the Cincinnati Bengals plus seven at the Browns and the Detroit Lions plus 13 at Minnesota. Coming up next, one hot take and two rants. I take number one. I love good Shirley Temple, all right? I know it's a friggin' kid's drink. It's it's a little feminine. It's red. There's a, there's a nice maraschino cherry in it, but I fucking love it, man. I really do. I think it's an awesome drink, and I got into it uh, <laughs> over the last few months once Jen was pregnant, and we were in Vermont, and I, and I wasn't drinking alcohol as she's not able to drink anything. And uh, I think it's very refreshing. I mean, basically, it's either ginger ale or Sprite, uh, a splash of, uh, of grenadine with a cherry. What's not to like about that? All right. I know it's sugar filled. It's something that if I had every day or even multiple times a week, um, I would be probably, I'd probably gain 20 pounds over the course of the next year. I, I don't do that. It's a treat for me. I've been having it like kind of once a week sometimes as a, as a treat when I have my, my, uh, my, my burger and fries from uh, my favorite local burger place, but it's fantastic. And I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to own it. I'm going to own the fact that I love Shirley Temples. All right. So you make fun of me all you want. All right. And I'll tell you a funny story about Shirley Temples. I, I, I let ordering a Roy Rogers back when we were in Vermont sounded a little bit more, more masculine. Uh, I want a Roy Rogers. I thought it was the same drink. Now Roy Rogers is a Coke with grenadine. Now that sounds like a delicious drink too, because I love Coke, but I've been much more in a light soda kick these days when I've had soda. All right, so it was a tough thing for me to cut out altogether. I don't have it a lot. You know, as a kid, I had it way too much. Uh, fortunately, I haven't had, had, uh, had weight issues at all. Um, I'm pretty disciplined with working out and eating otherwise. But, and, I'm, I'm, and over time, I really want to cut sugar down from where it is now. But I fucking love a Shirley Temple, and I'm not afraid to say it. Now, here's my rant number one. There is nothing worse than walking into a place steps behind a big group. And this happened to me earlier, earlier this week. I was going to get coffee and literally there's like a, there's like a, a co-working cohort, four or five people, literally fucking three steps ahead of me walking in to get coffee. 
probably sent me back five to seven minutes waiting for the coffee. And they're all like, you know, trying to figure out what to order. You can tell these guys don't even go normally to get coffee together. This is like a once in every like two, three week thing at most. And it's just brutal. I mean, I know everybody goes through it and, and uh, my life is no more important than anybody else's, but it's just brutal when this happens to you. It happens sometimes if you're going to, to in the grocery store, you're going to like, like a, uh, trying to find a line and somebody with a, with a car filled with fucking 20, 20 uh, 30, 40 more items than you gets in front of you. Um, it, it, it's, it's a brutal thing, right? When somebody or a group of people walk in front of you seconds before you, you know, one one misstep walking into a place, one hesitation looking down at your phone, not sure where you are, it could cost you precious time. Rant number two. So last night, um, every year um, where we live puts on this really great, the fire department puts on this great uh, tree lighting ceremony. They light this big uh, pine tree in town. It's decorated for the for the holiday season, and it's awesome. They have music, they have hot chocolate, they have blow up snowmen, uh, they have um, all this stuff. Um, it, it's just a great gathering point for people in town as 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 uh, afternoon is turning into dusk, and they light the tree, and, and all the kids love it. So, Jen, Eloise, and I go there yesterday uh, evening. Um, we get there a little bit late because everybody was kind of recovering from the stomach flu and kind of tired and lethargic and Jen's six months pregnant. But we end up going and we're glad that we went and, and we're happy to be there. And uh, we run into some friends of ours who we weren't going to take a picture with Santa, but it's a tradition we do every year. The line looked bad, but they're like, oh, the line moves pretty quickly. So we get online and I'm loosely paying attention to the situation in front of me, but it's irritating the, the, the shit out of me. Um, and the reason why I'm not paying a ton of attention um, is just because, you know, Eloise is really stimulated by everything. I was holding her. Um, and I was like talking to Jen about something else. But of course, Jen is very observant and notices this. And, and we kind of debrief about this in the car. But there's this group in front of us. And I get the sense that they were either like Spanish um, and from Spain um, or maybe Argentinian. You know, so just as an aside, not a bias. They're Spanish speaking. And there were two couples that were, that were there and collectively like fucking like four or five kids, including a stroller and all these friggin' props. And... The one family uh, is there, and I guess the other family cut us in line to go be with the, this family. And I'm not sure if it was like either the, the men were brothers or the women were sisters or they were just good friends. And, but they weren't even taking pictures with – this is pictures with Santa. They weren't even taking pictures together. So they, that, that, that was an etiquette breach to begin with. But you know, the, the thing I said to Jen when we got in the car was like, you know, what about this, this uh, dynamic in general just really bothered me? And she's like, what, their complete lack of consideration for others? And it wasn't even just they cut the line. I mean, they're taking forever to take pictures with Santa. They're changing angles of their kids. They're, I mean, they're probably taking 3X, 4X the time that everybody else is taking. And then what happens is after you take the picture, the fire department will print up a, um, uh, like I guess what they deem as like the one that you probably will likely take the, or, or appreciate the most. And, and then there's uh, they, they, they took about 10 other or 11 other proofs that you could go on and actually send to yourself um, via text. So we're sitting there trying to, to, trying to, trying to get off this line and figure out which pictures we're going to send. And this group is spending fucking five, six, seven minutes going all over their proofs. It looks like they're like fucking texting, like each other texting, like who knows, like grandparents, aunts, uncles. I mean, it's, it's getting to such a point that the, the line is building up behind us where we couldn't even move off of the, 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 uh, 
I guess the the set where we're taking the Santa pictures because there was such a there was such a backlog, and by the time these people were done, it was our turn. There were like three or four other families, no joke, behind us because of the lack of consideration of this group in front of us. What a shit show it was. These little things that happen. I mean, you know, everybody not everybody's perfect, and uh, not everybody I guess uh, has the same etiquette, but it was just ridiculous. Thanks for listening to the Chris Ham podcast. Please follow me on Twitter at Chris N Ham. Your support and feedback is incredibly valuable as I grow this podcast. So please tell me what you like, what you don't like, and feel free to suggest topic ideas. Take it easy, friends. Be well.